Amen, amen. Good morning to you guys. Glad you guys came out and weathered the 9 a.m. service. Uh, I guess you decided you want to go ahead and get out the way so you can go home and do whatever it is you need to do later on, which is totally, totally, perfectly, perfectly good. Uh, I'm Pastor John. I am the associate pastor here at Grace Point Church. Pastor Rich, our senior pastor, our lead pastor, is actually still in Israel right now. Uh, I believe he gets back mm, Tuesday, um, but then I think you'll still have another week with me. Uh, next week, and so hopefully that's okay with all of you. And so last week we we ended our series uh, called Goliath Must Fall, and we ended it with uh, a sermon called Addictions Must Fall. And and I don't know if you got a lot of breakthrough from that, uh, but but I, I know that I definitely did. Definitely opened up a, uh, opened up a lot, and I got to share a little bit of my story too, which I think kind of freed me up a little bit. And so I feel a lot better. So today we actually have a a standalone message. And uh, hopefully this message will be very thought-provoking to you, and you will actually look at this story that we're going to talk about in a different way. Uh, oftentimes we uh, look at this specific story, and we think something specifically about this specific person that we're going to talk about. Because historically, that's the way that people talk about it. However, what we're going to talk about and the way people see it is actually not really talked about that way in scriptures. And so what we want to do is I'm going to take you guys on a journey. I'm going to talk about the whole book of John chapter 4. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about different things, uh, a different viewpoint on how we can see. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman? That's what we're going to talk about when Jesus met the woman in the world. How exactly is she really supposed to be, be viewed? What exactly really happened to her? Why do we view her in the light which we view her in? Where does the Bible say that she was this person? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And so my hope is that everyone would find themselves in this story because uh, uh, we are actually in this story. And so this lady gets a bad rap every time that we talk about the story. And I want us to actually look at it because some of us, sometimes we don't do things that people say that we do. And we get a bad rap just because one person said something, another person said something, they spread the word and we think that's what it is. And in reality, it's not really that. And so we're going to talk about that today. And so the sermon title today is actually Changed Narrative. Changed Narrative because Jesus has changed the narrative in all of our lives. And I want us to take a journey and see how he changed the narrative of this one woman's life who in turn was so excited about this change that she had that she went and talked the whole entire town and changed the narrative of their lives as well. And so we're going to talk about that. How can Jesus change the things that we need to change our lives? How can we go out into a city so Jesus can change the narrative of their lives as well? Let us go directly into the word of God. John chapter 4 verses 13 through 15 says this. It says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for being our living water. God, we thank you for changing the narrative of our life. Lord God, that you died on the cross for us. You left your throne in heaven and came to earth to change us so that we could have relationship with Jesus or with your Father. Bless us today. Allow us to look at your word as you would want us to see it. 
God, open us up. Heal our hearts and our wounds. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And amen. So uh, there's, there's, there's three things. There's a lot of things I could have taken out of John 4, uh, but I just don't have time to do that. I wish that I did. And so there's, there's really three things I took out of here that I would really want us to look at. And when I talk about it, you're going to see exactly where I'm going and how Jesus did what he did and how he did the same thing for us. We're not excluded from this story. And so whenever we're reading the first uh, uh, John chapter 4, it allows me to see my first point, which is there's always preconceived movement. There's always preconceived movement. That, that word preconceived, it, it sounds bigger than what it really is. But what it really means is that I have made up in my mind that this is what I'm going to do before I go out and do it. Jesus did that for us. Did you guys know that? That he made up in his mind before he left the throne to come to earth and say, I need to go there to save a people. He knew that he was going to do that. And so there's always preconceived movement. John 4, verses 4 and 5 says this. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Now, now maybe, maybe you're wondering, you know, why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? When you actually go back and look at this phrase, he had to pass, it actually means that it was necessary for him to do it in the Greek language. It was necessary for him to do it. Why was it necessary? It was necessary because he had a divine appointment with one, one person, with one woman. He knew that if he did not go and speak to her, that she may have been lost the rest of her life. Jesus did the same thing for us. He had to pass through the cross. Because had he not done that, we would be a lost nation. We would be a lost generation and so he decided, he made that preconceived movement. If I don't do this, I have to do this because it, their lives are depending on this movement. And if I don't do it, their lives will be lost forever. Now, back in this day, Jews and Hebrews, they, they, didn't, uh, uh, they didn't like to go through Samaria. Uh, so what's the deal with Samaria? Well, there was a lot of, a lot of tension with uh, uh, Samaria and, and actually the Jews. And so um, when, you, when you talk about the Samaritans, the Samaritans actually thought that they were, they were the keepers of the law, that they were keepers of, uh, of the biblical tradition. And so uh, their tradition didn't match up with, with the tradition of the Jews and the Hebrews. And so there was a lot of turmoil and things there with that. As a matter of fact, there was so much hostility that what the, what the Hebrews and the Jews would do is they would actually travel to the east through the River Jordan just so they would have to barely skirt Samaria. Because they knew that if they went through Samaria that they would have to face this hostility. That they would be confronted, why are you here? You don't believe the same thing that we... Now, there were some things that they actually believed the same, but a lot of it they didn't. And so because the Samaritans thought that they were actually the keepers of the law, the Jews and the Hebrews actually traveled all the way around just to go to Galilee whenever they were traveling there, which is uh, uh, actually where, where Jesus was going. And the reason why he was going there was because uh, the, the Pharisees, uh, supposedly the, 
real keepers of the law, heard that he was actually, or they said that Jesus is baptizing a lot of people more than John. And so what happened is Jesus really wasn't baptizing. It was actually his disciples. But Jesus knew that there was a time when he was actually going to confront the Pharisees, but that time wasn't there. And I love how Jesus is, is, is so awesome and so um, okay with who he is. He knew what was coming later on, but he, he was smart enough to know that this is not the time nor the place. So I'm going to go ahead and leave the situation before the situation starts because I have a meeting place. I have a divine appointment with somebody who truly needs me. Sometimes we have to leave certain situations and, 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 and leave confrontations. Or when we think confrontations are coming, we should leave that to know that there's somebody else who needs us more than just trying to start an argument. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were trying to do. So Jesus actually defied these odds of, of, of traveling around the city. When he was going to Galilee, he traveled straight through the city. And when he was traveling through the city, and I can just imagine uh, probably the disciples were walking to him like, hey, hey, Jesus, you sure this is what you want to do? You know, they don't like us, and, you know, this, this may cause a fight. But have you know, sometimes you have to face confrontation in order to get something across, in order to, to, to break down walls and to change the narrative of somebody's life. Sometimes you have to go to a neighborhood that you didn't grow up in. Sometimes you have to confront and talk to people who ordinarily you wouldn't talk to that don't look like you. Sometimes you have to go to those specific places and those specific people that you know that if they had a chance that they would probably slit your throat. You have to go and make the right. Why? Because that's who we are. That's who we are. We stand for truth. We don't hide and run away from things when it gets hard or just because somebody doesn't like us. Who cares? If you look back in Scripture, they didn't like Jesus. And Jesus was perfect. Jesus loved and cared for everybody, but Jesus came to destroy all of that. So here we have Jesus defying the odds, going through uh, and, and confronting this hatred, confronting this racism, and because that's what it was, and, and, and even confronting this, this I don't like women type of stuff. Because back in those days, uh, women were seen as less than. They were. As a matter of fact, some of the Jews back in the day, whenever they woke up, they would, they would pray a prayer, something like this. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you did not make us Gentiles. And thank you that you didn't make us women. That's what the Jew, the men, that's what the kind of prayer that they would pray. Is there, was, there was, I guess we can, we, we can say it, there, there, was, there was sexism. And Jesus defied all those odds because here he goes, and in his mind, now the disciples probably didn't know, but he knew that this woman was going to be exactly where she was going to be at before she, uh, before she knew she was going to be there. Because he's God, he's Jesus, he knows everything anyway. And so he goes to this place. I'm going to just tell you guys this story just really quick. And he, he, he's, he's traveling and he goes to this place and he, he goes to this city in Samaria called Sychar. And, and, and he stops at this well. And the Bible says that it was the sixth hour or was the 12th hour that he was there, the sixth hour. And so what that actually means is it was about noontime. Whenever he got there, probably the, one of the hottest parts of the day, if not the hottest, it was one of them. And so he goes there, and he's just resting, just sitting there at the well. 
And I can imagine that Jesus was probably tired because the Bible says in John chapter 4, a couple verses down, that he wearied. I believe that was in chapter or in verse, maybe in verse 6 or something like that. It says that, that, that he wearied. He was tired. He, he, was, he was beaten because of this trip. And if you want to look at this in, 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 in our view, Jesus was wearied, he was tired, and he was beaten for us because of the trip he had to make on the cross. And so scripture says there that he was waiting at this well. And as he's looking up the road, he sees this Samaritan woman that was walking down. That was his appointment. He knew it. She didn't know it. And so I, I can imagine that as, as, as she's going and she's getting ready to try to get the water, first of all, in that day, all the ladies, when they came and actually got the water, they actually went early in the morning. They didn't go at noontime. They all came together. And I can imagine even while they was all getting all their water, it might have been a whole lot of gossip going on at the time. Girl, did you see Pastor John yesterday? He was something crazy. I don't know what's going on with that dude, but I don't know if he should be up there pastoring. And they might have been talking about you. But that's what they did whenever they came to the well. All these women came together at one time. Why did they do that? Because they had their duties that they had to do throughout the day. So why did this woman actually come at a later time than they did? And this is exactly what I want to talk about. This is, this is what I want us to actually view. Uh, because whenever we hear this story, most of us, most people say that she uh, was married five times. Uh, we're going to get to that scripture here in a little bit. But most of us see it as maybe she committed adultery like five different times and had to go to different husbands and things of that nature. However, the Bible doesn't say that. So where do we get that view from? Is it just because she had five husbands? So automatically we assume that she did something wrong? What about for some of us who have been married again, who have been divorced? Maybe some of us didn't do anything wrong. So would we like that stipulation to put on us? Oh, they must have did something wrong. Maybe they committed adultery. That wasn't the case for this woman. Back in those days, if, if, if a woman couldn't conceive, she was seen as less than, and they would get rid of them. What if this was the case? Because Scripture doesn't tell us that she had any children. So what if this was the case? But what you have to look at is whenever they got rid of a woman, whenever back in that day, whenever they divorced a woman, what they had, because back in the day, they actually had to, to, uh, um, 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 they had to buy a wife. They had to give the family money just so they could have the wife. So in order for them to let them go, guess what they had to do? Is they had to pay all that back. That would release them from that marriage covenant. And once they were freed and once they were released, then they could go on and marry somebody else who was free. And so we can't specifically say that this woman automatically committed adultery just because she was married five times. What if she got beat by her husband? What if she didn't do what, you know, because you know, some of the women do that. You know, look, I'm my own person. I'm a dude. Not that that's a bad thing because it's not. But back in that day, if you didn't do what I said and it's going down. What if that happened? What, what if this woman was so depressed because of the life and the cards that she was headed in her life that she just got tired of being around? You ever get depressed and you don't want to be around anybody? You just want to be by yourself. Just, just look, I just want to do me right now. I don't want to be around nobody. I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. Or what if she knew that if I went there, I just really don't feel like hearing all this gossiping. 
What if that was the case? And so what we have to do is we have to look at this a little bit differently than what society tells us to look at this. And so Jesus sees this woman, and as she's at the well, he asks her this question. Or actually, he, he says this statement to her, give me a drink. And this woman is looking at Jesus, and she's saying, um, why are you talking to me? Uh, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, and we don't get along. And what made it even worse is that she was a woman. Men didn't talk to women. Women didn't talk to men unless their husbands was around. Well, she had five, but the one she's with now wasn't her husband. So he can't speak up for her. And so what was really going on with this story? And so what would you do? What would your response be to Jesus if he came to ask you for a drink? Would, would, would you have something to give him? Would you question his motives? There's a part in this story that I think that all of us should probably work at. As we go down further to verses 9 and 10, and I promise you guys, I'll preach here in a little bit, but I want to teach you for a little bit first. As you go down to verses 9 and 10, there's something great that happens here. Jesus asked the woman for a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. John was very specific on making sure that we knew that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. He wants to know how important this was. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who, who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So this starts my second point, which is the process of patience. Jesus already knew that she wasn't saved. He knew that she was living a life now that uh, is not the kind of life that he would want for her to live. And so he understood that he had to be very patient with her, and a lot of times we're not patient when we actually come and try to share the gospel with people. Because we think that I should give you the gospel and you should automatically love it. You should automatically be converted, not knowing what their history is. What if somebody like me actually abused somebody before and I'm coming to somebody and saying, Jesus loves you, and they're viewing me out of, out of their past? The process of patience. And so the one thing that Jesus knew is that if he asked the Samaritan woman for help, that she would more than likely respond in a more gentler way. Now, why do I say this? You guys ever had those enemies and you try to go and talk to those people who don't like you very much and they're real short with you? They don't say too much with you? You may have even done it to somebody because we're human. But this is the thing that, that I know statistically, if you actually ask somebody who doesn't like you for help, 
they will be more than likely to help you rather than actually have a conversation with you. And so this is what Jesus did. Jesus says, hey, can you help a brother out? Can you just give me something to drink? And so this woman is being very, very, very defiant because, for one, you're a Jew. We, I don't need to talk to you. You're a dude. I don't need to talk to you. Those other five dudes hurt me. And I still have that pain that I'm dealing with. So even knowing that the woman actually responded to him kind of harshly, I can hear her saying, you know, who is this guy who comes and has the audacity to address me? So when speaking with people about life and salvation, we have to learn to actually seize the actual opportunity that we're in. Jesus knew. uh, uh, So this woman is here at the well, comes to get water, right? And so Jesus talks to her about the living water. Uh, that's a good conversation starter. So if I know that you like vehicles, and I don't like vehicles, but I want to disciple you, I need to know about vehicles so that we have something in common. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. And so this woman kept saying, look, sir, you don't have anything to draw the water out with. How are you going to get this living water? And so, but Jesus actually spoke to her and said, look, this is a gift. We all love free gifts. Jesus saying, look, I am the gift giver. If you would just ask me for the gift of living water, I would give this to you. Look, if you would just ask me for the gift of salvation, I would give this to you. And so this woman didn't know exactly what Jesus was talking about. And so finally further down, she says, look, if that water can actually keep me from being thirsty, not coming back to this well again, she's thinking very, very carnally. And so you cannot be carnal-minded and expect to to receive spiritual blessings. You can't think of things in the natural, but expect to receive something in the spiritual. It doesn't work that way. Now, can Jesus do it? Absolutely, he can. Absolutely, he can. But if you expect spiritual blessings, you need to be spiritually minded. You need to turn away from that carnal stuff that we're doing. You and I, because we're all sinners, we need to turn away from that and accept the, gift, the free gift of salvation. And we need to preach and pray and walk out the things in the spiritual realm. Otherwise, we're not going to receive that spiritual blessing. So here's the part that I really love about this story. She asked Jesus for this living water. Jesus knowing that, hey, I really can't do anything to you unless your husband's around. And so instead of Jesus calling out her sin, Jesus wants to speak to her heart. Because this is not really so much of a, of a, of a, of a story about somebody that's sinning. This is a story of somebody who's brokenhearted. How many times do we miss that point? How many times are we, are we saying, brother, you're sinning and you're going to go to hell or you can't do this? But we're not addressing the point. Her heart was broken. She was married five times. And each time that husband put her away. And I can imagine that they're probably saying, listen, I'm sorry, you can't have any kids. I, I, I don't want you. You're not, you're, you're not good enough. You're never going to mount up to what I need for you to be in a wife. You heck, you probably would have been a good mother anyway. And so all these seeds are being planted. And Jesus being Jesus knew this. And so that's why there's a process of us to be patient whenever we're talking to somebody to lead them to Jesus. Because I guarantee you that the more patient that we are, the more that they are willing to open up and the more that Jesus is going to talk to us about their specific situation. 
And so now Jesus wants to talk to her heart. And he says, look, you want this living water? Go get your husband and bring him back because I want to take care of the whole family unit. And I can imagine when Jesus said this to the woman that she probably shrinks back a little bit and says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, knowing already what she's thinking, he says, you know what? You're right. Because you've had, and he didn't, he didn't say it like, like out of anger or like he was really trying to press on her or kick her whenever she's already down. I can imagine Jesus saying, you know what? You're right. And the man that you're with, you've been married five times, and the one that you're living with now is not even your husband. And so this lady shrieks back now because Jesus is speaking to her heart. Sometimes it's hard to hear about our heart, about our heart issues. When, when our heart is broken, when we're confronted with things that, that we know that we need to get right, sometimes it's hard. But that's the only way to get somebody to salvation is to speak to their heart. Because this is where the living water will come out of. The Bible says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if my heart is not right, nothing else about me is going to be right. And so he speaks to this lady's heart. I know. You've been married five times and the one you're with now is not even your husband. What do you do whenever things happen to you and somebody talks to you and, and, and they, they bring up something that you're dealing with in your life? What's the easiest thing for us to do? Let me change that subject. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Hold on, let's talk about what we have here at hand. Let's deal with your heart. Sir, I, I believe that you are a prophet. And so through this entire ordeal, Jesus shows us the process of patience. And he even shows us that instead of kicking somebody when they're already down, that we should give them grace to grow. How often have you known that somebody accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but instead of giving them grace to grow, because the grace was extended to us as well, instead of giving them grace to grow, to work out these issues, or for us to even help them and walk alongside them to work out these issues with them, we look at them with a the stink eye. I thought you just got saved yesterday. Why are you still doing the same thing that you did for 20 years? That's what we do. Is we think when somebody says, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, forgive me of my sins, that tomorrow they're automatically super Christian. That's not what Jesus would want us to do. Jesus would want us to walk it out and be patient. Be patient with them and help them walk this thing out, extend grace. This is what changes the narrative of our lives, is when we extend grace. Not when we're mean and rude and ugly and I'm super Christian and you need to be like me. First of all, I don't want you to be like me because I can't even handle myself sometimes. I don't need another John Miller. My five-year-old is evident of that. And I hate it. But we have to extend, we have to extend grace. And that produces 
change. Matter of fact, it produces powerful change, which is my next point. It produces powerful change. And so why, why do I say that? Because whenever Jesus talked to this woman about the things that she's gone through, he hit her heart specifically. And she said, sir, give me some of that water. And so the question that I have for you all, do you guys have something inside of you that's attractive to people that God has given you? And if so, are you willing to give it to the least of those? Because if you go back and look at your history, you were a least of them at one time before. And Jesus had to meet you at the well. And he had to come and talk to your heart. And he had to be very, very patient with you. And so because he was that for you, what is inside of you that is attractional to people to come to Jesus just because it's in you? It should have produced some kind of change. So John 4, 28. I think I have actually through, through 30, I think is what I have. Yes, actually, I said 29, but it's through 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Uh, can this be the Christ? They went out, went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, now. That part for me, it does something for me because this woman who was an outcast, who by society's standard was less than, she don't want to be around me and we don't want to be around her because she had five husbands before. The one she's living with now is not hers. She is less than. She can't even have kids. She's depressed. She's stressed. Don't know what's going on in her life. And look, it is what it is. We can't believe her. We can't believe her. But this woman was so excited whenever Jesus changed her life, changed the narrative of her life, that the very thing that she went out to do, remember she went out in the heat of the day to go and get this water to take back and probably do the chores that she had to do. Now, the very thing that Jesus knew she was coming to get, she received. But she didn't receive it in a way that she thought she was going to receive it. She was going out there for something carnal, for something natural. But Jesus gave her something eternal. He gave her the gift of salvation. And so I want to ask you this question. How excited are you about your salvation? Who have you went and talked to about your salvation? Have you went to the town? Have you went to the city and said, come see a man? This lady was so excited about this change that she went to her town knowing that people would probably still reject her and said, come see a man. Come see this dude who told me everything that I did in my life. Could this be the Christ? Because they was waiting for him. Did you know that people out there are waiting for Jesus? And did you know that Jesus' way to get to those people is through you? There is no other solution. It's you. So will you go out there and change the narrative of a city? Will you tell somebody about what Jesus has did for you? In the book of John 8, uh, uh, Jesus actually, let me make sure I get this right. There was a woman that was uh, caught in the act of adultery and Jesus, and they brought, them, brought her to Jesus and Jesus changed the narrative of her life. They wanted her to be stoned to death, but Jesus said, woman, your sins are forgiven. 
don't go do this anymore. As a matter of fact, there, there was a woman with an issue of blood. I think the Bible says for 12 or 13 years. And she just touched the hem of Jesus' garment and her narrative of her life was changed forever. There's stories of countless stories of, of blind people in the, in the scripture to where Jesus touches them and they receive their sight. As a matter of fact, did you know one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his apostles, the apostle Matthew, was actually a thief? He was a tax collector. He stole from people, and Jesus came to him and gave him a couple of words. He says, follow me, and changed the narrative of his life. As a matter of fact, did you know one time when you was dead in your sin, when you were dead in your trespasses, when you was at your own mind doing what it was that you wanted to do, knowing that you was on your way to hell, Jesus came to you and said, I love you. He came to you and said, I need you to take a drink of this living water, and he changed the narrative of your life. So why is it whenever you see people that are doing something wrong, maybe somebody's talking about them, do we automatically assume that this is the real story instead of knowing what's really going on? What's going on? Yeah. Instead of knowing that. And so this woman's life was changed forever. And so not only was her life changed forever, she was radically changed forever. So much so that she was so excited that she left her water jar at the place. Now, I don't know why she left it. I don't know if she made a preconceived movement on saying that I'm intentionally going to leave this here, go back and tell people about Jesus just so I can come back to be in his presence once again. Or if she was changed so much that she forgot what she came for. Did you guys know that sometimes Jesus can change your life so much that you completely forget about what you were doing in the first place? You're just so excited that he changed you, that he loves you so much, that he spends time with you. Jesus wants to spend time with each and every one of us. He wants to change the trajectory of our lives. I know that, John, I'm saved. I'm dignified. I'm probably more saved, as Paul said, I'm probably more saved than you. But what is it that's in your life that you need Jesus to change that narrative? What are you still dealing with? What hurts do you still have that you seem to try to deal with, but it seems to keep coming up over and over again? This woman had one husband that put her away. And then she had another husband that put her away. And then she has the audacity. Let me just try this. I still have hope. Let me just try this one more time. And the third, fourth, and fifth husband puts her away. And the sixth person that she's with now is not her husband, but she's living with them. But then she meets a man, the seventh, seven, number of completion, who spoke to her life, who completed her and trans her, transformed her from the inside out. Not carnally, but spiritually. And so the only way that we are going to be able to be just like this woman and have the audaciousness and the tenacity to go out to a city to tell them, come see a man, is if we allow him to change us from the inside out. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is if we understand who it is that we need to change us. Jesus, he's the only king forever. And he pursues you every day. 
And in that pursuit, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going to go through, and he knows where you're at specifically right now. And do you think that matters to him, that you're a sinner, that you were a sinner? Do you think that matters to him? No. It does, but it's not going to stop him from coming to you. Although Jesus' hands are clean, he specializes in fixing the dirty stuff. He's like a mechanic. He don't care about getting dirty. Because if somebody doesn't get dirty to fix something to make it good, it's always going to be bad. And so what is it that's in your life that you're still dealing with that you need Jesus to speak specifically to your heart? He's the only king forever. And he loves you. And so we're going to go in a little praise right now. And I want all of you guys to stand up. And whatever it is that you're dealing with, give it to him. Because he's here speaking to your heart right now. Jesus, he is the only king forever. God, we thank you so much that you are the only king forever. God, there's none that can even compare to you. God, you reign on the throne. And you are perfect and awesome in all of your ways. God, we thank you for thinking about little old me. We thank you for meeting us in our darkest hour. In our most vulnerable moments, God, we thank you so much for coming to us. We thank you, God, for not being afraid to get your hands dirty. For dealing with the most mundane situations of life, God. That's your specialty. And so we thank you for loving us. We thank you for restoring and healing us. God, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to get this thing right. Thank you for paving out the steps for us. God, we need you to speak to our hearts just like you did the Samaritan woman. And although she may have been asking for carnal water because she didn't know what she was really asking for, you still met her spiritual need. And so God, here we are with arms wide open. God, we need you. We can't do this without you. Father, we want to say the same thing that you said to your disciples. I only do that which I see my father do. I won't do anything that I haven't experienced or seen him do. Jesus, we only want to do what we see you do. And you loved your people. So bless us now. Bring us into community now. Heal us from our most deepest inner parts where we're hurting, God. Touch us today. God, if you change us, we'll be changed. If you bless us, we'll be blessed. 
Lord, and if you heal us, we will be healed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And amen. Family, let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Yep. So if you guys need prayer, we're going to have some of our leaders that's going to stick around uh, if you guys need prayer. Um, if you guys just need somebody to partner with you or, or, or whatever it is, uh, we, want, we want to be those people. Um, we're not super spiritual. We all have issues. As a matter of fact, our issues have issues. And those issues even have issues. And so reality is we're all broken people. And we're all trying to do one thing together, and that's glorify Jesus and build people up. And so I, 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 I want to... I would love for everybody to be in one of our life groups. That, that's a place of, of community for us. It's a safe place. We get a lot of growing from those. You'll meet people who you, you may look at somebody thinking that they're, they're this type of person, but when you get there, you're like, oh, they're just ordinary people. They're cool. They got issues just like me. And that's what brings community close together. And so in September, we're going to have a real big shindig, and we're going to invite all of you guys to our life groups. And we've got some real things coming along. I also wanted to remind, I just really felt pressed to remind you guys, don't forget that we are still doing our Generations campaign. Um, I, I know we haven't talked about it in a long time, and so sometimes maybe we still forget about it. I still wear the bracelet every day. Uh, whenever things get bad and I lose faith, I switch to the other side because I, I, that's my man. Because I, I just believe that God is going to do some super supernatural things here in this church. And guess what? We can't do it without you. And so we need you. For you guys that have been so faithful, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, Pastor Rich appreciates it. We appreciate it. God appreciates, appreciates it more than what we do. So you guys are always loved. If you need anything, let us know. We want to walk with you. Not behind you or in front of you, or, but we want to walk alongside of you. Let's link arms and be family together. Does that sound good? So hopefully God has changed the narrative of you guys' lives, and you're going to go out to people now and say, come see a man. Bring somebody to church. Let them hear about Jesus. Amen? All right, family, we love you. You are dismissed.